Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Robert Yeager and the Tao Foundation. All right, so we are doing a show about pajamas. What I would like to claim is that because, if you were listening on Monday anyway, last night on Killing Eve, the colorful assassin Villanelle played an entire scene in pajamas that we in the space of 15 hours just set up a pajama show. But that's not true. We're working on a pajama show for quite some time now. Uh, And I should say, it's really exciting. We've brought one of our former adult interns out of retirement, you know? And it was like one of those spy movies where we had to find her. She's living in an undisclosed location. And then she said, I don't do that stuff anymore. And I said, no, we got to have you. We got to have you. So Deborah Timms is back. Deb Timms is producing this show with the assistance of senior producer uh, Betsy Kaplan. And and so before we, we begin, we had a great guest lineup. I'll tell you my, well, no, I'll save it. I have a pajama story. And I should say, I'm wearing pajamas and a bathrobe and slippers. Wolfie is wearing pajamas, although they're cow pajamas, so they could double as a Halloween costume or any number of other things. Uh, Carlos Mejia, the Mejiasaurus, is also wearing pajamas today. I mean, we committed to this. Um, so uh, so here we go, and we're going to be talking here at the, at the beginning. I said w- at the meeting where we talked about this, one of the meetings, I said, get Henry Alford. Now, I just said get Henry Alford because I say that a lot. Um, you know, it's kind of my all-purpose response to a lot of things. And because also because Henry, in addition to being one of America's great humorists and journalists, is an expert on the mores of society. Uh, and I, I just thought he would have opinions about people wearing pajamas in non-pajama prescribed places. Uh, and well, it turns out Henry, of course, has written the whole thing about wearing and has, and has done this, has, has personally violated the norms of society, George Plimpton style, as is Henry's want, uh, by wearing pajamas in places where he wasn't supposed to. So, I mean, that sealed the deal. We have Henry Alford here from uh, the Argo Studios in New York. Also joining us uh, by phone is Claire Sorrow, curator of the Robert and Penny Fox Historic Costume Collection, assistant professor at Drexel University and co-author with Valerie Steele and Patricia Mears of Ralph Rucci, The Art of Weightlessness. So that seems like it might be a whole different show. But um, so, Henry, I'm going to begin with you. So in 1995, Vincent the Chin Gigante was among the people who inspired you to undertake a bold experiment with pajama wearing. Tell us about that. Yeah, he was just wandering the streets of uh, Greenwich Village in his pajamas, uh, presumably feigning dementia in order to, uh, you know, get out of being put on trial. And there was just something so winning to me about, I mean, t- you know, to me, I'm, I'm, I hope to spend my, uh, my dotage in, in a state that I would describe as unglued. So yeah, that seemed it's to be up my alley. And then a couple of days after I learned about it, I read in a, uh, there was a zine called Duplex Planet, where a guy would interview people at uh, senior centers. And one of the interviewees told this guy, uh, if you are an old man and you go into a bar wearing pajamas, people will buy you drinks. See, that might be a, not be a high enough upside somehow. 
<laughs> but well, know. in the winter, no. Right. Yes, I mean that that and a pending indictment, and then you've got something maybe. So I just quickly, maybe you could just tell us one or two places where I, you have to talk about the New York Stock Exchange. You you actually attempted to visit the New York Stock Exchange in your pajamas and slippers. I did, and that was the that was the yeah the most difficult shoe leather part of that uh, journalistic investigation. I figured I should try a, a variety of places. So I show up and one of the guards gives me the hairy eyeball, uh, pulls me aside out of the line. He goes and gets a supervisor. And then he comes back and he says, um, we can't let you up like that. And then he says, are you feeling okay? What's going on with you? And so I said to him, um, well, you know, I'm interested in this line of work, but uh, I'm not sure I have the drive for it. <laughs> um, I think he was he was pretty convinced that you did not have the drive for it. Uh, I think he knew. Yeah, he yeah. knew from from the get go. So um, there is this whole idea, and let's weave a Claire uh, into this. So Claire, we 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 were being told in 1995 that not just mobsters, but maybe some other like fancy people and stuff like that might be uh, venturing out in pajamas. We're being, I think Henry found out that Madonna and some other people were were doing that then. We're being told now. Once again, over the last few few years, the fashion industry has tried to persuade us that pajamas could be something that you would wear to a party or something like that. Um, but I get the feeling from your work that this is not even the first two times that's happened, right? There's this wear pajamas all the time thing that just kind of rears its its head or top or bottom from time to time. Yeah. Yes. The, certainly throughout the whole 20th century, um, you have periods of kind of elegant loungewear, um, you know, smoking pajamas or dinner pajamas or beach pajamas kind of being promoted as something that you wore in certain social environments. Um, what's happening now is um, real, really ever since the um, 1960s, the end of the 60s, a lot of those um, rules about where and when you wear things have broken down. So you do see um, celebrities wandering around in, you know, very glamorous pajamas, but, you know, in the airport rather than um, in their beach villa serving cocktails. Right. And, and teenagers are doing this too, right? So, yes. Um, <laughs> you see college students on campus in their pajamas all the time. Um, so, Henry, this is a little bit of um, uh, there's a sort of a broader movement here, which I, I believe sometimes lives under the title of athleisure. Uh, and, and I should say that on Thursday of last week, I was just completely exhausted, but really, really tiring Wednesday. And I was working from home in my sweatpants and it just I looked at my actual clothes and they just seemed so exhausting to put on. And so I just came into work in my sweatpants, but in my sweatshirt, too. And then I just told people it was athleisure. Uh, but the truth was I was just tired. But, you know, Henry, you have many different roles. Sometimes you are the transgressor, as we've just established. But you've also written, you know, written extensively about manners and mores. So what's your attitude about this, uh, this idea that people can just show up wearing various kinds of very loose-fitting clothing? Well, I, you know, I think from a manner standpoint, if you're out in the open, you're out on the street, then Go with God. I, I, I think you're not going to—I think, you know, it's it's only when you wear the—take those pajamas into a more formal setting, be it a workplace or a graduate graduation or an inauguration, um, where 
it becomes a little more unclear. I mean, the place where the other place where we're seeing pajamas a lot now are like award shows. Like you'll see Rihanna showing up and accepting an an award at the American Music Awards in her pajamas. And there, yeah, I mean, it's all about context. I, I think anything goes at at at, at you know at a at a gathering of musicians. <laughs> yeah, but then, for example, as you say, yeah, go ahead, Claire. Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, but isn't that the ultimate power play? Like, I'm such a big star. I can show up at an award show, not in a gown, but in my pajamas. Well, Henry, I think that was a point that you made back in 1995, that this could be sort of a mutual status recognition thing, you know, that I can wear pajamas. Yeah, right. No, it can, it can be a, a, a power play. And, you know, what's really interesting historically is if you compare it with the 1920s, say, when Coco Chanel was encouraging women to wear pajamas at the beach, you know, that was really shocking because that was a time when women, you know, weren't even wearing pants. Um, but in today's society, you've really got to go into some kind of formal setting before I think people are going to actually be shocked. Well, since you brought that up, Claire, you should give us a little bit more sense of, of that history because, I mean, I think Henry has, has hit upon it. I mean, the the transition to pajamas uh, was also, it kind of coincided with the tradition to any kind of pants. Any kind of pants on women as opposed to skirts or dresses or whatever was pretty controversial for a while. Oh, ab- absolutely. It took a real long time for it to gain acceptance. Um, as a matter of fact, uh, it was uh, illegal in some areas for women to wear any sort of bifurcated garments for a very long time. Um, so it was it was gendered as masculine. P- pajamas were originally more made men, and um, it wasn't until you know you start to see women adopting them in the early 1910s. But only certain women, only women who had the ability to um, flout convention to they were either incredibly wealthy or incredibly bohemian or a combination of both, where they really didn't care what people thought. Um, and then there, there was always um, you know, practical considerations. Um, so there, there is um, reports of women adopting pajamas during World War I because of air raids. So they they thought they were more modest and practical if they had to get out of their house in the middle of the night. Um, But the idea of women wearing pants was uh, very controversial. So, Claire, you know, I mean, we know, for example, that Abraham Lincoln went to bed in his suit and stovepipe hat. He didn't wear pajamas. Ulysses S. Grant wore his military uniform to bed. I'm making these things up. These these things are not true. But but, uh, I guess what I'm wondering is, I mean, in the 19th century, I feel like there's an inflection point in there somewhere, right? People, people, there, there were pajamas. It's an, a word from India. The British spell it with a Y instead of an A. When did when did the United States find out about pajamas? Um, well, you see, the the British starting to adopt um, adopt them in the 1870s, and it doesn't take too long for um, Americans of upper upper class who who looked to the British for menswear. The men, the menswear trends were coming from Great Britain. So they they are going to adopt pajamas fairly early. Um, yeah, at the same time in the eighteen seventies and the eighteen eighties, um, you have an underwear um, an undergarment called the combination coming in. And that is that one piece long john um, kind of jumpsuit garment with, with the flap in the seat. And that becomes like an undergarment slash pajama for a lot of working class men. So that actually um, can be 
seen as kind of um, the transition where they're going from old um, night shirts to these kind of one-piece um, combination garments, and and then the more British style or coming from the Hindi um, pajama. All right, so uh, just to sort of uh, uh, set the mood for a second, Wolfie, let's play a clip A3 a for a second. One morning, I shot an elephant in my pajamas. How he got in my pajamas, I don't know. Then we try to remove the tusks. The tusks. That's not so easy to say, tusks. You try that sometimes. Oh, simple tusks. Pardon me, my name is Spalding. I've always wanted to meet you, Mr. Chandler. As I say, we try to remove the tusks, but they were embedded in so firmly that we couldn't budge them. Of course, in Alabama, the Tuscaloosa. But uh, that's entirely irrelevant to what I was talking about. You know, it's sort of interesting, uh, Henry, because in the famous mirror scene, uh, Groucho is dressed for sleep, but he's wearing he's not wearing pajamas. He's wearing kind of a nightgown, and he has kind of a little floppy, flopped-over night hat, too, I, which I don't think is really kind of maybe any trend of male sleepwear. It probably just looked funny. Yeah, no, we, we. I'm waiting for that trend, the long nightcap. That that could be really... I could totally see that on some of the rappers, like on Snoop Dogg. Yeah, no, those, uh, the nightcaps are great. Uh, I love that concept. So um, Henry and I sometimes, I think we've done this in the past, I, occasionally we will actually make up a manners rule on the spot. And then these rules are um, embossed. I think they're decoupaged onto a shower curtain. We send them to the Library of Congress, and they become essentially the manners laws uh, of the United States. So I'm going to propose this one, Henry, and then you can tell me whether it works for you, whether you think we should fine-tune it, whatever. Okay, great. Okay. So it seems to me that if there's going to be any kind of move towards wearing pajamas in the public sphere, you can't have pajamas that double as pajamas but also— you know, this, this this other kind of thing. I mean, it's sort of like your indoor voice and your outdoor voice. I think, you know, you have the pajamas you sleep in, and then they're not the pajamas you go places in. It seems to me, like, I'm wearing my, sort of my sleep pajamas right now, and I look like Vincent the Chin Giganti. I look like somebody who's, you know, about to be, uh, get a conservator. Um, I don't look like somebody who's about to win a music award. Um, so I'm thinking maybe maybe that should be a manners rule. You sleep in one set of pajamas and rock out in another. Uh, but yeah. but take a wrench to this. See if you, you want to tune it up anyway. I, no, I like it. Yeah, because like an executive pajama look or a travel <laughs> pajama look. Um, and, yeah, maybe it's a slightly sturdier fabric. Um, and presumably it's a little bit cleaner mm-hmm. than your than your sleep pair. Um, no, I think that could work well. And, and I think, you know, for these people who do uh, espouse this idea that, oh, well, I work best when I'm, you know, the most comfortable, then why not stash that pair of executive pajamas in your desk drawer and, you know, t- at lunch, go into a bathroom stall or if you're in a private office, close the door and just get a little blast of that and and let's see this great work that that they bring out in you. Well, so, uh, Wolfie, let's play clip A2. This this argument has been made that pajamas have always been modeled after the business suit. Who designed pajamas? Why do they make them look like a tiny suit? (laughs) They give you a little collar, button down, and a breast pocket. There's a useful item. (laughs) Is anybody using the breast pocket on your pajamas? What, do you put a pen in there, you roll over in the middle of the night, you kill yourself. I also bought slippers, which I never had before in my life. 
I never had them. And I went and I picked them out. There's two kinds you can get. You can get the slide in. These are like emergency slippers. <laughs> oh, yeah, you can set these up by the side of the bed in case of a fire. Hey, you pick them right up, you get right out. You save a lot of time. Or you can get the ones with the backs, which are kind of like shoes, which if you have pajamas looks like a suit, this completes the effect. <laughs> Now you just get yourself a flannel briefcase, you're all set. <laughs> you oversleep, go right into work, there's no problem. Jerry Seinfeld, way ahead of us, uh, as usual. Well, Claire Sara, we, we've, we've had this conversation so far. We have not mentioned the names Halston, and we have not mentioned the name uh, Hugh Hefner. Um, in the 60s and 70s, there was this other thing going on. And, and, I mean, Hugh Hefner wore pajamas as far as I can, and a smoking jacket or a robe or something uh, his entire life. But I think it was impossible for anyone else to do it without looking like an idiot trying to be Hugh Hefner. Indeed. <laughs> um, sure. I mean, again, th there's there's kind of a, a sense of branding um, and this idea of luxury and comfort. Um, one of the things that Halston was really known for were these evening pajamas for women. Um, and they were to be worn with, you know, comparatively minimal undergarments um, is very much in keeping with the early 70s. Things were loose and uh, bias cut, and they were easy. Um, one of the things when I um, show Halston garments to um, students, because that's another part of my job, um, they're, they're always surprised to see that these couture um, pantsuits, evening pantsuits, have elastic waists. And that is because Halston wanted everybody to be as comfortable as they were in their own pajamas at home. But they are formal pajamas. They're made out of the most exquisite fabrics you've ever seen. And um, they are definitely meant to be seen out and about, whether it's Studio 54 or a dinner party or just at your own home. So, Claire, what, there's some interesting things about the development of pajamas, one of them being that for the reason that you just said uh, about Halston's, you know, evening wear pajamas, regular right. pajamas, nightwear pajamas, they didn't have to be quite as tailored or bespoke or anything like that. You could you could buy them easily through the mail because they were just, you know, they, they would sort of fit you, right? Yes, yes. They, they were very uh, readily made um, and easily accessible. You could go to a department store or a, um, a mail order catalog and, and order, you know, basic sizes. Um, so you got luxury and novelty, um, but you also had a great accessibility. So it, they, they developed this image of, um, of modernity because you have to remember they're coming out of the 19th century um, uh, where things were very complicated and you went to a tailor and everything was so tightly fitted to the body. So the idea of just kind of lounging about in these semi-fitted garments uh, was seen as very sensual and very um, liberating. But it also seems as though, whether it's the 20s, the 40s, the 60s, the 70s, even as though, even while there were occasional trends towards getting people to wear their wear some kind of pajamas in public mm -hmm. spaces and, and at parties, the pajamas you wore to bed tended to mirror whatever the 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 regular fashion of the moment is right. In other words, the pajamas that women wore to bed were probably pretty close, or somewhat close anyway, to what was in fashion in the outer world at the moment. Oh, absolutely. Uh, women's uh, pajamas 
almost always mirror what's going on in fashion trends. Men are much less susceptible um, in their fashions. I mean, they'll, they'll keep current, but they tend to hew a little bit more closely to tradition. And, you know, that, that whole um, Seinfeld bit about the, the breast pocket, and it looks like a suit. Well, yeah, because it was the 19th century originally, and they just kind of stuck with those lines. Um, all right. So, uh, so in other words, for women in the twenties, sleepwear might look a little bit like uh, a flappers' dresses, or you know, I mean, the same kind of thing. As you go through the decades, yeah. there's there's yeah. there's some way in which yeah, you you, mm-hmm. you yeah. get you get into bed wearing a slightly different version of what you wore uh, to the party that night. All right. What we're going to do is we're going to take a little break here. Henry staying with us, uh, and Claire staying with us, and uh, you know, we could even take calls here if you have either questions or. Uh, confessions you want to make to us? I mean, we have a call screener. Uh, we can make sure you don't say too much. 860-275-7266 is the number to call if you have comments on the notion of pajamas expanding into the outside world or if you want to tell us something deeply personal about your own pajamas. 860-275-7266. So we're doing a show about pajamas. What is your opinion on pajamas, just generally? I think they're stay for sleeping. They shouldn't be worn in public. Um, I think you see that look on campuses and I think it looks ridiculous. Um, nice and cozy. <laughs> I like pajamas. I don't know. I, it depends. I mean, I like, I like pajamas. They're comfortable. <laughs> I think they should be attractive and and uh, sexual, uh, warm in the winter, and light in the summer. Makes if you sense. wear them. I just I think that there's too many pajamas. Like why? I just think. Why do you need so many pairs? Like, it's kind of silly to have, like, pajama gram. Like, why do we have that? Like, it's just not necessary. <laughs> All right. Those are people in the street. And that's our intern, Seth, uh, talking to people uh, in the street about pajamas. And they're not actually in the middle of the street. They're just out there. Uh, so uh, Henry Alford is going to stay with us. Uh, thanks to Claire Sorrow, a curator of the Robert and Penny Fox Historic Costume Collection, also assistant professor at Drexel University, where presumably that costume collection is, and the co-author with Valerie Steele and Patricia Mears of Ralph Rucci, The Art of Weightlessness. I don't, I, I don't really know who Ralph Rucci, Rucci is, but that seems like it could be a whole other show that we do. So, um, Henry, I did say, I, you know, I had a story to tell about this, and so I'm yes, going to— Yes, let's hear that. Uh, so, so occasionally—I don't do it so much anymore, but occasionally I used to appear on those Sunday morning news programs. Not like Meet the Press or something, but the, the local Connecticut equivalents of those things. And so, and so those—they they, they appear on Sunday mornings, but usually for the local stations, they're taped like on Thursday night or something. But the fiction is that it's Sunday morning. And so right. I, I, on one occasion, in order, I thought to, I think I was maybe even on, a, it might have even been on a Sunday morning that was like also New Year's Day or something. I can't remember all the details. The program was called Face the State. The host at the time was Doobie McDowell. And I thought in order to ha- enhance this moment and enhance this idea, I would show up in my pajamas and bathrobe and kind of a little bit of bedhead too, a little musty bedhead, <laughs> and just say, you know, my alarm didn't go off, and I, you know, I just realized it was time, and I, like, you know, drove as fast as I could, and here I am, and I have time to put clothes on, and so I did this, and like the camera guys thought it was really funny, but there was, 
they might have been the only people. Um, <laughs> and they're like people complained. People were offended by that. And um, they were I don't know what I, I it's not necessarily the case that everybody thinks the same way about pajamas. But somehow or other, I had violated some basic rule uh, of decorum. Like there's a lot of people, they just don't want to see that, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, right. But well, that that some people have expectations, and I mean, the the weird thing about this whole conversation is it it does at a certain point it gets into the complicated issues of taste uh, and class because you know some people might profess, well, you can't wear sweatpants and a sweatshirt to this event. But then if you showed up in a very elegantly embroidered, uh, you know, silk set of silk pajamas and some slippers, then they might let you cruise right on in. Um, and so, who's the arbiter there? You know, is there some? Or why? Why is one set of of uh, clothing okay, and but not the other? Right. And I also think that there are, there are ways in which any kind of clothing transgression can be interpreted by certain kinds of people as an effort to just take down society, pull down society <laughs> as we know it. You know, um, communism lurks in the elasticized waistband. Well, for example, in Louisiana, I don't know if it's just one town or, but they actually there was a a, a political leader there who was trying to ban the wearing of pajamas in public, and apparently high school kids were starting to do this. Now, in defense of that guy, apparently one of the triggering events, and I think we might have to make another. Alfred McEnroe fashion rule up right here, too, or manners rule up right here. One of the things about pajamas, I'm trying to think of a way to put this delicately. Well, anyway, there's a, there was a bunch of high school kids in Target down there in Shreveport, Louisiana. And, uh-huh. and I guess the way that I would say it is, you know, zippers exist for a reason, and pajamas don't have zippers. So there's, therefore, your pajama bottoms aren't maybe guaranteeing you, you know, a full covering up. 24-7 of your naughty yeah, bits. Yeah, right. So that apparently was a problem at the Target. And and so I was thinking maybe another rule that we could make, but obviously this this could be too authoritarian, so feel free to talk me out of it, is you have to wear underpants if you're wearing pajamas in a place where a lot of people that you don't ordinarily sleep with are going to see you. Oh, totally. I thought you were going to go to uh, I thought we were going to get even more specific and go <laughs> with a um, with a briefs versus boxers, because I'm thinking a boxers uh, uh, under under uh, um, men's pajama bottoms. That's not quite, you know, you want the you, you want the male equivalent of a strong underwire. Um for it, for that that pajama bottom. So, yeah, I think we want a tight-fitting underpant. Right. You want fail-safe. Fail-safe, yeah. right. Um, yeah, it's sort of the underwear equivalent of belt and suspenders. You don't want to take any chances. Uh, yeah, precisely. All right. So um, I want to talk about another negative connotation that pajamas have. Uh, and to do so, I will re- turn to someone I certainly rely on a great deal and have through the years for just matters of judgment and discernment. And that, of course, would be Sarah Palin. Is there anything else that has been raised or said about you um, in the media, either during the campaign or since the campaign ended, that you think you need to address that has been you know, an allegation about you? Well, unfortunately, early on, there are a tremendous number of examples that we can give regarding my record and things that 
could have, should have been so easily corrected if, if the media would have taken one step further and, and investigated a little bit and not just gone on some blogger probably sitting there in their parents' basement wearing their pajamas blogging some kind of gossip or, or a lie. So, but that was a thing. I mean, Sarah Palin notwithstanding, um, which is a good way to start a lot of sentences, Henry. Uh, Sarah Palin notwithstanding, that was a way in which a group of the earliest bloggers were kind of defined. They were pajamas. I mean, nobody really knew whether, I don't think there are any solid examples of it, but they couldn't be serious people because they never left the house. Ergo, they wore pajamas. Right. Or the or the the sort of the joke about the people who watch the the glamorous uh, Academy Awards is that, yeah, that everyone who's watching them is sitting at home eating popcorn in their pajamas. And it's yeah, there's there are two. We have these kind of two faces about pajamas. Either we think that they bespeak this sort of Asian exoticism, or we think that it's just uh, it's someone who's not trying at all. <laughs> um, although I think a quick glance at the person will tell you which one it is. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's not like you really need to wade in and find out. I think right away you know. So, I, you know, and um, there is also this sense. And, you know, I was counting on you for being a little bit more prescriptive about this. Uh, but, for example, Clinton Kelly uh, of What Not to Wear says that this whole thing of pajamas and I think probably spilling over into other kinds of athleisure and people wearing, you know, jeggings to presidential inaugurations or something. I, I don't know if that's ever happened, but it's the kind of thing. He says it shows that we are in a downward spiral of style. React to that. Uh, I would agree. Yeah, no, definitely that. Um, it, well, it's it's very similar to manners, which is to say that, you know, Americans always want to do what feels most comfortable. But in fact, you know, the essence of good manners is that you are holding part of yourself in reserve, in abeyance. You know, you're finding your throbbing id and then you're lashing it to the roof of the car. You're not letting it in the car. And it's the same with clothing. I mean, that that people people think that they can that they should be as comfortable as possible even if that means throwing on their lacy unmentionables to you know go eat at a restaurant and i think also and this point was made by the culture uh, critic robert pella there's also i i think particularly now i mean i'm not I'm, you know, Henry. I'm not one for the slippery slope. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not one for the camel's nose under the tent. Um, I'm not one for the where does it all end kind of thing. But I do feel as though one of the things that we've seen among maybe millennials, but maybe among all of us too, is sort of a uh, a desire not to have to grow all the way up. You know, there's sort of a sense in which we would like to maybe not have as many adult responsibilities as we have. You know, and if there are ways that we could signal to the rest of the world not to foist any more adult responsibilities onto us, those might be interesting signals for us to send, hence the pajamas. Yeah, no, absolutely. And 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 let's assume that this trend is only going to continue, particularly given that, you know, by the year 2027, that half the population is it will be freelance. So there's going to be even less uh, incentive for anyone to, uh, you know, not 
be not live the elasticized waistband lifestyle. <laughs> so, well, this leads me to now. I might have even quoted this to you once before, although I, under what circumstances I do not know. But anyway, so but you know, you and I have both lived the freelance writing life, and and there is sort of there are some issues there about like at what point. Have I fully engaged with my job? You know, I mean, if you're working from home and you're a freelance writer and stuff, you don't have any place that you have to go at a particular time. You know, there there are questions. And one, Roy Blunt Jr. suggested at one point that what we should have, freelance writers in particular should have, are like some coverall, some work, look, you know, like, like guys who work in garages and stuff like that, maybe with our name stitched on the pocket. So you'd have, you know, this coverall that's at Henry on the pocket. And when you were really ready to work and like not do anything else, uh, you would put that on and that would be a signal to yourself, you know, that you, that you are now Henry Alford writer. Um, and, and I do think there may be something to that because the notion, I mean, also when you're wearing pajamas, there's a signal being sent to your body and soul that you could go to sleep at any moment, which is sort of not what we really want when we, we face our tasks. Yeah, no, exactly. And in fact, I mean, the, there are interesting studies about um, this idea that sleeping and sleeping nude is better for you um, because it you know lowers your your body temperature and that signals to your body that it's time to sleep. So in a you know even in a medical way you can say well there are reasons why we don certain amounts of fabric at certain times of day. Right. And and then some of the we're going to get to that whole sleeping nude thing in the third and final segment. But but yeah, I mean, it just seems to me that if I'm wearing pajamas, you know, I don't know, I, I'm, I could be inter interacting with my bed, my refrigerator or my laptop, but they all have kind of an equal claim on my attention. Whereas, yeah. It, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Oh, well, just that I, I know a writer who can't um, uh, who can't write unless he's wearing shoes. Mm -hmm. And to me, that says everything. Yeah, that for him, that's sort of the, the line in the sand is uh, pajamas fine, underwear fine, whatever, as long as I got my shoes on. Right. Um, I, in fact, I'm going to suggest that John Updike always wore a suit and tie uh, and wingtips when he wrote. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Again, I don't really have any basis for saying that, but it seems like the kind of myth that would only enhance... There we, is a there's a story in the John Cheever biography that came out a few years ago that he would put on a suit, take an elevator down to his basement, take the suit off, and then <laughs> write in his boxers, and then at the end of the day put the suit back on. Who it it may be apocryphal, but well, I was told by a guy who ran the Wesleyan Writers Conference that Robertson Davies, the Canadian novelist, would show up for everything in this. I don't know, almost kind of retro Edwardian black suit with a kind of special kind of English tie. And this was, I mean, this writer's conference was held in Middletown, Connecticut in the heat of the summer. And Middletown's in a valley and it's, and he just like, nobody's doing anything except t-shirts and shorts. And, and this guy finally went up to him and I guess people called him Robbie. And they said, Robbie, you know, you can, how can you even dress like that? I mean, it's like, you know, 100, 105 degrees out. And he said, attitude, my boy, attitude. <laughs> so, so there you go. Um, all right. We do have a few, a few people who call in. I offered people the opportunity uh, to uh, talk to us, uh, to unburden themselves. And so uh, here we'll begin with Pete in South Windsor. Hi, Pete. You're on the air. Hey, Colin. Actually, it's Steve, but that's all right. I won't take it personally. Okay. Um, yeah, I think you guys are all, might be overlooking one very valuable 
aspect to wearing pajamas. And, you know, for dirtbags like me that come home after a mountain bike ride and we're just too tired and lazy to jump in the shower, if you if you put up put on enough pajamas, it's still okay to get in bed with your wife and she won't yell at you for getting the sheets all nasty. And then, you know, the pajamas will just trap in the filth. I feel as though it would be good to have the missus. Hey, hand the phone over to the missus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I feel there might be. All, <laughs> I feel like there might be a whole other story here. <laughs> you, I'd appreciate you not including her in this conversation because I feel like I would probably not come out smelling very well. No, well, you you, you don't actually. But thanks for calling in. And uh, no, I'd want to know what 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 she says. Um, all right. Yeah, and I think that's more fuel for your uh, this idea of having your executive pajamas. Right. Right. Yeah, so that you've got your grubby, um, <laughs> the ones that you're wearing in bed that are the rep- repository for dead skin, uh, and then you've got your ones that you're you've got for public. Right. Well, he's he his pajamas are one tick away from being a hazmat suit. You know. I mean. Yeah. You know, he, he really talking containment here. <laughs> <laughs> this is like, you know, he's been bitten by a monkey and he wants to get into bed now. Um, yeah, I kind of want to wrap it with duct tape, right. too, what By the way, talking. I can't find it in the notes right now, but you're actually supposed to wash your pajamas. Like wi- Most people don't wash their pajamas often enough for exactly the reason that you're talking about because it's full of dead skin. Oh, here it is. Okay, so how often do you think? And apparently, okay, yeah, first of all, how often do you think men wash their pajamas? Not that uh, guy. That guy has probably never washed his pajamas. Let's take him out of the equation for a second. <laughs> um, I think people are doing it as I am. Ooh, well, I do it once a week. I okay. bet most people are doing it once every two weeks. You are correct. Uh, surveys show that men wait an average of 13 nights and women wait 17 nights. Women think that they're less disgusting uh, than men, which is interesting because, uh, you know, I mean— and men are more disgusting, actually. But um, <laughs> but you should wash your uh, pajamas at 160 degrees, and you should pr- wash them once a week, just the way Henry Alford does. Um, so and so, moms, if you're talking to your kid, say Henry Alford washes washes his pajamas once a week. Give me those Chewbacca pajamas right now. Uh, you're not wearing them. All right, let's take one more call, and then we have to go to a break, and then we have to talk to uh, a person who actually knows something about this sleeping in the nude question. Uh, Lori Ann in Branford. Hi, you're on the air. Hi, thank you so much for an extremely informative episode today. <laughs> Just chock full of information, isn't it? Uh, it it's fascinating. Um, there is one thing that I'm finding that you might be um, leaving out, and that is the um, Lon's nightgown. Oh, the, the Lon's nightgown, nightgown yeah. The yoked, the yoked collar um, in college back in the late 70s to mid-80s, even, I mean, I was that's when I was out, but I mean, my sister later on in the 80s even wore them, and they were the most coveted nightwear that anybody could own. So, you know, and many of us own several lawns, nightgowns. So tell me about how that fits into the pajama slash um, loungewear thing that you're discussing. Well, we should get Claire back. I don't know. This could be above our pay grade, Henry. I, I will, first of all, confirm 
based on my limited knowledge, uh, Lorianne, everything that you just said, and my limited knowledge is based on having been married to a graduate of Wellesley, uh, someone who graduated Wellesley around 1972. And yeah, basically, the you know, life was seen as a series of brief interruptions in wearing the Lance nightgown to do other things. So you could get back in the Lance nightgown. Uh, I mean, like you're completely right about that. I don't know. Henry, do you have, do you have a hot take on this? Well, only that that the Lance nightgown really addresses um, men men's deep seated desire to sleep with Laura Ingalls Wilder. <laughs> um, that there is um, that you know if you want to add a bonnet to that look, <laughs> terrific. Go the whole way. But no, I think you know seriously. I don't think we're seeing the Lance nightgown out in public no. so much, um, and that's a that says something about those women who who are who are taking the the little house on the prairie route in the bedroom is that there it does bespeak a kind of decorum and modesty because they're not sharing it with the with the outside world right i have a whole theory about why they're not being worn in public but i'm not going to say it because it probably would get me even in more trouble than i'm already in but so Lori, but th- Lori and thanks for calling in henry and i need to take a break we're going to come back we're going to discuss this whole question of should you sleep in the nude should you wear pajamas should you wear smart pajamas they have smart pajamas now too where's my pajamas around the room Today's show was produced by Deb Timms, who wears Princess Leia pajamas with great help from senior producer Betsy Kaplan, whose sleepwear choices were redacted from the Mueller report. Also me, Kion Wolf, I'm wearing a cow onesie right now. Amanda Fish does not wear pajamas because they interfere with her gills. Our intern is Kayla Thomas. The part of Bill Curry was played by Hugh Hefner. On tomorrow's show, stories of the wrongfully convicted. And now, back to Colin. I know this is a little awkward. We're doing a show about pajamas. So what do you personally wear for pajamas? Pants and t-shirt. <laughs> I generally wear a pair of sweatpants and a shirt. I like the capri pajamas, you know. You know, and the ones with all the funky designs on them. Nothing. All right. I go in the nude. I sleep in the nude. Um, I don't wear pajamas. I wear a tank top. I usually wear, uh, like, a long pants with a t-shirt. You gotta get the matching set. You have to get a night like a I like t- like the tank top ones, and then either shorts in the winter, like the flannel pants, nice and fuzzy. What's your favorite pair that you own? Mm, Spider Man. Spider Man. Spider Man. Yeah, those are really really cool. All right, that was our intern Seth asking people what they wear in bed. He was eventually arrested, um, and with good reason. Um, we're taking up a little collection. We're gonna get him out eventually, but. Um, uh, but obviously donate. Uh, that would help. So uh, we're still talking about pajamas and sleepwear. Uh, Henry Alford is here with us, American humorist and journalist, author of four books. And you should just go on Amazon and just buy the whole Henry Alford connection. It's four books. There's some house paint and uh, uh, I think uh, some kind of uh, athleisure products. So get get the whole Al- Henry Alford thing and you'll be fine. Uh, joining us now is W. Chris Winter, sleep specialist, neurologist, and author of The Sleep Solution, Why Your Sleep is Broken and how to fix it, which is good because my sleep is broken right now, and so is the sleep of my significant other. So, um, so um, first of all, welcome to our conversation, W. Chris Winter. Hey, thank you. You can call me Chris. All right. Uh, I like that. So um, how much 
does the question of how well we sleep have to do with what we are or aren't wearing? I mean, is that a big factor? I would say no. I mean, if you just if you're taking the the body of sleep in general, and you had a thousand people who were struggling with their sleep, I don't think that you would move people from the category of bad sleeper to good sleeper by changing their clothes that often. But it, it's sort of like sleep hygiene in general: the dark room, the cold room, the mattress that's perfect, the perfect pillow. These things are important. Um, but you know, by themselves, sometimes don't move the needle that much. But these are, but they're definitely worth considering. And if you're somebody who says, "Aha, you're wrong," I change what I wear to sleep, and now I'm a great sleeper. Then I love being wrong. All right. So, and then there are all these kind of specialty products. There's Tom Brady Recovery Sleepwear. You could not. I don't even know <laughs> what that is. You couldn't pay me to wear it, whatever it is. There's copper infused pajamas. There's well, I mean, what are these things? These don't even sound like pajamas, Chris. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't think they are probably based upon the traditional definition. I mean, I, I think it's 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 sort of in, it's sort of indicative of a bigger picture. And the bigger picture is basically, I think, for many, many, many years, we saw, we thought of sleep as a trait, kind of like eye color or hair color or your height. It is what it is, and there's nothing you can do about it. And now it's being viewed more like a modifiable health factor, like your exercise or your nutrition. So I I think that this is this this idea of, you know, can we take something that we thought was relatively static and improve upon it? And I think that, sure, you know, being thoughtful about what you wear at night, being thoughtful of your temperature and how it affects that can be really helpful in terms of somebody's sleep. Do you need to invest in copper-infused anything, I think is relatively debatable. Well, pans maybe, but not uh, not pajamas. Yeah, there's the, there's right. moisture-wicking ones called sheiks that do thermoregulation. There's something, something else that's like a sleep hoodie that does moisture-wicking and a built-in face mask to block out light Correct. and muffles. Yep. I mean, that just seems like, you know— I don't know. You're going to look like Jason from the Friday the 13th movies or something. <laughs> so you know, to me, it's, it's really, you know, I think that people need to be comfortable. Um, I also think that it's really important for people to manage their temperature. And for a lot of individuals, they're making decisions about going to bed um, based upon how they feel in that moment at 1130 at night. And when you look at a body's temperature curve, it's relatively high at that point. Um, but maybe getting ready to start dropping. So we want to make sure that when an individual is sleeping, they've got some degree of control over their body temperature. So they're wearing something that's heavy and warm. My, my, my wife tends to you know, go to sleep a little bit earlier than I do. Her body temperature drops a little bit earlier than I, mine, mine does, which is why men and women typically fight over the thermostat sometimes. Um, so she will often err maybe on wearing more to bed at night. And then at some point around three in the morning, she's kicking things off or trying to get out of her clothes because now she's suddenly hot. So, I mean, I think all these things are important and are kind of generating discussion like we're having right now. You know, what should we wear and, and how, do, how, does it, how does what we wear at night affect the way we sleep? So, yeah, I mean, sleeping on an airplane can be kind of tough, but if you've got a little hood that's got a built-in mask, that might be 
outstanding or or it might um, terrify the person in the seat next to you it could yeah. and, and, and i have no shame about terrify i wear crazy things on airplanes to try them out so if you're seated next to me i'll apologize ahead of time for what i'm about to pull out of my bag right no the, um, to apologize to the air know, marshal who gets sent over to roommates a lot of times you you might want to sleep in the nude but you're kind of you know it's a little awkward since you've got a college roommate or all the athletes i work with a lot of professional sports teams you know the United States women's soccer team has roommates, um, unless they're in the you know, the night before their World Cup final, their Olympic final. So they may not want to wear little when there's somebody in the bed right next to them. So you know, giving that consideration to something like sheiks or the thing you were talking about with the mask, the deep sleepwear, could be a really helpful solution to to coming up with that. Or maybe your roommate stays up and keeps her computer on. And you want a dark environment to sleep in, that little built-in mask could be potentially helpful. Could, could be. So, Henry Alford, bring up the thing about sleeping in the news. nude. We're almost out of time here, but uh, ask Chris about this. Oh, just that I had read that um, sleeping in the nude, it, it causes your uh, body temperature to go down and that that that. You know, the the amount of time it takes you to fall asleep um, has a big effect on your your sleep satisfaction. So Chris, that's why, yeah, why we, sleeping in the nude is good. We've got about 60 seconds left, Chris. Yeah, so, so, yeah, I think in general, you know, being in a cooler situation when you sleep at night is better. So for some people, wearing less when they go to bed and regulating their temperature with their bedding is better than kind of going to bed kind of warm. And that's kind of hard to, to get used to sometimes, but there are several studies that show cooler body temperatures typically produce faster to sleep, better sleep quality. All right. Well, this has been fascinating. Henry, I don't need to pry, but what do you what do you wear? Do you wear pajamas? What do you wear? So, I, uh, uh, increasingly, I go commando, and it is slippery <laughs> and fun. All right. Well, that's a perfect place for us to land this particular plane. Don't wear masks on planes. I don't recommend that. That just seems like, you know, people are going to be calling the stewardess over. All right. So we're going to stop there. We want to thank everybody. We especially big thank you for Deb Timms coming out of retirement uh, and undertaking one last mission. Actually, she's going to do one more show after this, too. So this is her penultimate mission. All right. Thanks to Henry Alford. Thanks to all of our other guests. And we'll be back tomorrow. It's been real bad lately, but I feel pretty good right now with you laying with me on the couch, nobody understands.